0: Welcome to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ears. I'm Jared Walls, Associate Producer and Starista's Creative Copy Manager. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders to get their take on the current challenges of the market, but also have a little fun along the way. In this episode, Vincent and AJ talk to Mark Donatelli, President and Founder of Hive Strategy, He shares his journey through working with agencies and branching out on his own, as well as the importance of paying attention to consumer behavior. AJ recalls his last visit to NYC, and Vincent ruins the moment. Give it a listen.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Another episode of The Marketing Stir, brought to you by Stirrista. Ladies and gentlemen, Starista, identity marketing company, our own databases, marketing services, email marketing, Omnichannel, just launched our new Adster product, which is our own DSP. Enough about that. More about me, your host, Vincent Petrofessa, the vice president of B2B products here at Starista. Reach out to me. You know, if you have a question about the marketing stir, you have a question about Stirista. Vincent at com. I did not put my last name in there because it's too long. You would forget it anyway. So just Vincent at com. My co host with me, as always, my fearless leader, Mr. AJ Gupta. What's going on, AJ?
2: Hey, Vincent, I'm reminded of your. Uh... Comedy alter ego, Vincent James, a lot easier to say.
1: Exactly. my my uh, I do moonlight as n- New York City famous, eh, sort of, uh, comedian Vincent James, which is my middle name because so many people uh, get my last name wrong, Pietro Fessa. Uh, AJ just learned it three days ago. and I've known him for 10 years. <laughs> so it just goes to show you. I'm kidding. He knows it. AJ, what's good in your neck of the woods?
2: I, I was hoping you were not going to ask me to say your last name, so I'm glad you didn't ask me. That I wouldn't question. do it.
1: It would take seven <laughs> takes. It would take too many takes on this uh, podcast.
2: Yeah, you know, all, all is uh, all is well here. Uh, it is a beautiful day outside. As long as you stay in, it seems uh, like you can enjoy the nature from the air conditioning.
1: From afar, that is the official state slogan of Texas uh, and <laughs> city slogan of San Antonio. We're beautiful as long as you're in the air condition. I love it. I love it. AJ, we got another great one. I love what we're doing here at the Marketing Stir. We are just you know, talking to people in the industry, tremendous insight, people we've never met before, but also people that we know. And people that we uh, we love here on the Marketing Stir. Uh, you know, this gentleman is a friend of Stirista. When I think data, I think of this guy because he's been in so many aspects of the data business. And I'm so happy we have him here today. Can't wait to talk to him. He is the president and founder of Hive Strategy. Please, warm welcome to the Marketing Stir podcast, Mr. Mark Donatelli. What's going on, Mark?
3: Hey, Vincent. How are you? Doing
1: great. Hey, Hey,
3: AJ.
2: Hey, Mark. It's been a little while, but uh, I still remember one of my last drinks in New York fondly. Cheers.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, and uh, that was, uh, you know, what was the date? Where Do you remember that time when you guys were last meeting?
2: Now now you just ruined the mood, Vincent, asking specific questions like that.
1: Well, I am uh, one of the great hosts of the marketing po- marketing steer podcast. So we 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 dive into the details. Data is all about details. So um,
2: I, I'm yeah. a sales guy at heart. So we deal generally with facts uh, loosely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, yeah. Must have been a special drink if you don't remember it, AJ. That's what I'm just saying. <laughs> it's well, um, too many,
3: perhaps too many,
1: or yes, that's exactly right. There were too many of them. Ah, the, uh, you know, it just brings back the great, uh, great good old days of meeting in person and drinking beers. That's okay. We will be there again. Let's stay positive, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. You are, of course, you know, you and AJ go way back. You're a friend of Starista. You know, uh, David Bailey, who's been, uh, you know, with us here at Starista for eight years now, a staple here at Starista. Mark, tell us a little bit about. I like to go, you know, right into it. Hive Strategy, talk to us about your company.
3: So Hive Strategy is a, a very small firm. It's it's been predominantly myself. Um, I've had a couple of of helpers off and on over the years, but um, it was really a rebrand um, a few years ago uh, from a company I started in 2013 called Science of Bacon. I had uh, I had just left. Axiom um without a job my wife says you got to stop doing that and I'm like well I get kind of tired of it and I just I'm saying, <laughs> I'm out I'm going to go do it myself and so I left when I left Axiom I went out on my own and uh started a company called Science of Bacon and it was primarily uh a very focused data strategy uh type professional service that that I was working mostly that's how I got into the agency business as I my first client was uh was Ogilvy right there in New York and um and so, you know, I was uh, doing work, filling time, helping them establish a data business. Uh, at the time, we launched that business um, called Ogilvy Amp. Um, went on to be an employee there and bounced around WPP for a little bit. Uh, went back on my own again uh, when I left WPP. Um, started to kick the dust off the science of bacon, and uh, very quickly got snapped up with Winterberry Group. Uh, another well-known voice in in our industry, and um, and after I left Winterberry Group, um, at that point I decided I was going to go back on my own again. See a pattern, um, and mm-hmm. and then uh, at that point I you know the science of bacon at the time when I you know I was selling to creative agencies, and so obviously having some some creativity and some sort of function and some sort of you know the whole idea there's a whole logic a whole industry around naming and science of bacon for me was a couple of things. One, I mean, data science was like, this is right when they were naming data scientists as being the sexiest new job. This was back like 20, 2013 is when I, I did that. And, um, and it was one of those where it's like, I need to have something memorable and catchy, but there also needed to be some deep, deeper meaning. And so I really felt that, um, you know, Sir Francis Bacon, right. The, the scientific method, right. Collect, collect data, observe, collect data, observe, you know, and continue to test and learn. You know, this idea of, of incremental improvement to solve problems was kind of my theme and, um, and had a good run. Uh, ultimately, uh, I've relaunched Hive strategy um, in the sense that uh, my time came to an end at I- IPG uh, through the COVID uh, impact. And uh, and I've you know so far this year since since leaving IPG I've been managed to grab a couple clients and doing some great work, and uh, and yeah so right now I'm I'm in growth mode I'm kind of in uh, you know trying to see how much I can handle before I need to start bringing on more more experts.
1: No, I love that, and uh, and also you know I, I love the concept science of bacon. Is it also because you're just a huge fan of the savory snack as well? I and I love bacon. I
3: actually had one, one of my slides. One of the early slides I had was, it talked about the scientific method, right? And then the last bullet was, you know, and we love bacon. And I actually found some stock photography that was a heart shape made out of two bacon strips, like crispy bacon strips. Yeah. I had these beautiful glistening bacon strips like on a black slide. It was amazing. That is
1: awesome. And so that's, Mark, how you kind of, you know, formulated Hive strategy. Talk to me, take me back a little bit further, right? We always love to ask this question, how how people get into this business, right? You know, as far as, you know, data science wasn't around, right? A lot of direct marketing certainly wasn't around when I, uh, you know, went to college. Digital marketing certainly wasn't. How'd you fall into this? Because you have an interesting background. You're you're a military man.
3: I, I am, I am. And and that that's actually where the story starts. You know, I think that um, you know, I was in, in school, I was good in math and whatever, but I was a bit of a wild card, so to speak. You know, I was an athlete and a quote unquote cool kid or whatever, but I did did well in school, but I really didn't like it. Um I'd planned on being a math major. I was accepted into a few universities as a math major, but ultimately this was right around when we invaded Iraq in 1991, uh, first Gulf War. Um, And I, being 18 years of age of sound mind and body at at that point in my last year of high school, I went down after school with some buddies and joined the army. And uh, my my mother about lost it. But for me, it was a way of not facing my fear of school, right? You know, and and I I ran away from education and went into the military. And I, because I scored well, and I was, you know, intelligent guy, I ended up in military intelligence. Um, And at the time, you know, I I went there because I'm like, well, you know, technology is getting kind of big, you know, the internet wasn't real, It, it didn't exist. I'm like, well, something like technology oriented sounds cool, and I'm going to get some some skills for when I leave the army. You know, I was thinking ahead at least to that level. Um, and I spent I spent almost seven years in the army. Uh, had been through probably 25 countries or so, doing some very interesting work in the intelligence community. Um, a lot of it was very technology oriented. Again, pre-internet, thinking about the the types of intelligence that were being gathered from spies from people telling you things from from intercepts of communications from satellite imagery from you know there's all kinds of sources of intelligence that the military was using that was they were using and so I managed all of those systems all of those technology systems that were used to kind of store manage translate prepare the data for use by the intelligence analysts by you know so at the time though, I left the military after that and um and and I went into IT. I, I thought I said, well, I'm an IT guy now. You know, I had the certifications, I'd been through a lot of training, um, very easily worked my way into technology roles and ultimately into like technology leadership roles. Um and and it all then changed again when I met my wife and got married, and we she finished graduate school and we moved from from the Cleveland-Akron area of Ohio, we moved down to Florida. And uh, I was in consulting at the time, I was traveling all over the place and I was very rarely at home. And she said, hey, you know, if, if we're gonna have children, you kind of need to be here, like uh, that helps. Uh, and so so I went and applied for a job and AJ is probably gonna laugh out loud. I, I applied for a job at a local company down there called AccuData. AccuData had a, <laughs> see? Data had AccuData had an IT position open. And I'm thinking, wow, this how hard can this be? It's like a marketing company, right? We're not it's not it's not a factory or a warehouse or something where there's physical danger and things happening, but it's like it's marketing, right? No big deal. So this is where I fell into marketing. I, I went into the interviews for the IT job. They asked me to come back the next day. I'm like, this is great news, man. I go in and it's a whole new set of interviewers. And everybody there was all from the sales organization, and they started asking me really interesting questions—at least that I, questions that I thought were interesting. Um, and it, at that point, I had this epiphany that I'm like, "Wait a minute! This is a marketing company, and they use data to do marketing, and they use the word intelligence, and they use the word segmentation and clusters, and you know, they're using all these terms that that I've heard before." Uh, and so ultimately. I found it very simple to take some of the abstract of the military, right? Targeting, direction, finding, listening, abstracting, uh, translating, like these things that the military intelligence machine does. And I figured out that, wait a minute, technology, data. Wait a minute, this is all, this is, I know how to do this. And I was wildly successful, at least in my book, I was very successful selling mailing lists. Uh, selling segmentation and modeling and custom analytics, and it became very natural to me to have these conversations with people uh, about those types of topics. And so I—that's how I fell into the business. And I think right around that time, this was probably 2007, 2008. Like this is a right around when I think I met AJ, somewhere in that window, maybe a little bit after that. But I think it was at a DMA conference, probably in uh, probably in Las Vegas or San Diego are the two that come to mind, Um, trying to pinpoint where AJ and I first met. And he's walking the floor, hawking his wares from the booth. Um, (laughs) I think that's how it all started.
1: Orange shirt, right? Yep. Oh, completely orange. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, I think it was the uh, 2008 Vegas DMA. I'm not a, I'm not a big Vegas guy, as Vincent will tell you. But... <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, that's a lie. That's a lie. That is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> he's
1: actually he's podcasting live from Vegas right now. I'm kidding. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I actually <laughs> forgot, Mark, that you were uh, both in the army and AcuData. Actually, I don't know if I ever knew you were in the army your uh, uh, your list of accomplishments is uh, so great on LinkedIn that uh, I have never scrolled, scrolled all the way down till today and it's actually there, so. <laughs>
3: yeah, so I, I started out in the intelligence community and by and large, what we're trying to do today, I mean, right now the big topic is identity, right? Well, guess what? If you're gonna drop a bomb on somebody, <laughs> you better make sure it's the right person. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think there's this idea of positive identity and how marketing and military tactics how technology underpins it, how data makes it go, how people have to make decisions based on the data, have to see trends and make strong assumptions. Like I think all those things to me are all in me now, you know what I mean? And I think that's what's enabled me to kind of move from, you know, flip-flops and shorts and a t-shirt with a headset on selling 500 names to a pool cleaner who wants more more (laughs) pools to clean, right? (laughs) I mean, selling mailing lists back in the day, I mean, 500 bucks a pop, it was – It you had to sell a lot of mailing lists to make any money. You know what I'm saying? So I've been down that road, and, and I kind of took away from it a lot of great lessons. AccuData is still doing well today out there, um, perhaps a competitor of Sturista at some level, but I think that they're, they're doing quite well still.
2: Yeah, I think what's uh, amazing about AccuData is how many uh... – small transactional orders their sales team does it's a it's a pretty uh well technology oiled, uh, sales machine
3: well and that's ultimately we you know if you know the AccuData data backstory they got sold and separated a couple of different times and and the platform was really the the secret sauce there and and axiom acquired a part of that business at one point in time before they're in their current form axiom acquired one of the platforms one of the platform businesses um I was later recruited to go be the product manager of that platform, of that SaaS platform that was doing all the all the list fulfillment and data extracts for Axiom as a whole, plus a number of other big data compilers and a lot of list managers, um, service bureaus. We were doing a lot of of things that, um, you know, a lot of things that today, you know, seem like they're new whiz bang things, but they're still based on principles of organizing the data democratizing it in a way that enables a non someone who can't write a SQL statement, right? And enabling a business user who has the institutional and 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 the knowledge that they have about the market that they're trying to reach and the customer to be able to go in.
0: And this is a lot of what
3: your new platform is doing, right? It's really helping level the playing field and allowing people to get into the data themselves and 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 select uh, the criteria and see the results and and I think that's a huge opportunity. And that's that that's really where I I ultimately did that at Axiom for a while when I first my very first job at Axiom was in product management.
2: Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. From you know CDP has become such a overused term these days, but uh, most of the platforms I see are so complex uh, you're going to need a, um, a petroleum engineer to figure out how how to work the platform and that's not something most uh Average marketers are looking for. So it's almost like people, uh, IT guys are building things without any input from actual sales or marketers. So, so a question for you, Mark is uh, so you later then you wor- went on to work at Ogilvy as well as the uh, Winterberry Group where you're working with a lot of different data companies and data assets. So, what do you think kind of separates uh, Separates out the bigger companies or the ones that uh, are more prized in the industry versus, you know, going on Google and buying a five hundred dollar list for the whole country.
3: Well, I think the and I think the the current state around compliance is going to help fix some of this probably and some of the things that are happening with cookies and whatnot. But the idea of of the provenance of the data, like where did it come from, under what auspices was it collected? Um, and then of course the members in, in the data itself, right. You know, uh, knowing how consumer behavior, knowing how we all act in our daily lives and what and how, and we being in the business, aren't the baseline we shouldn't be right. The rest of the world, the consumers out there, what they think is reasonable like that, where the data comes from, how it's collected, um, how the, the age of the data is really important, depending on the use case. Sometimes having a lot of data that goes back a long way is, is more valuable for certain use cases, whereas something that's happening very much in the moment might be worth something different to someone else. Um, but yeah, I think that that's, that's the biggest thing is I think having a, a long, clear pathway of understanding where did the data come from, how, how did it come to be? I think the subtleties between real data and like modeled data I think is something that people are starting to finally get their heads around, um, or the idea that you know I've I've run into many companies that are sourcing data from a lot of different sources, but then they're not actually doing the work to actually overdo overlap analysis or seeing that they're they're buying leads or they're getting data they're getting the same data from two different people. You know I think there's back in the day with direct mail it was hey I need a net name agreement I'm going to send you a list I want you to just send me the new names. Don't send me my own names back. I think the concept of that in the digital space had been lost and it enriched a lot of people because no one was asking those questions. You know, I think the 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 pure digital native crowd on the marketing side is starting to get smarter. Um, but it's taken them, it's taken them 10 or 15 years to catch up to what you know an OG kind of direct mailer would have done to begin with.
1: Uh, So, Mark, uh, first of all, thank you for your service. We really appreciate that. Um, You know, we thank you so much. Uh, And my question being is like, so it sounds like what you were doing as far as in the military and working with some data, your math background, which that's also an anomaly, right? You were a cool kid who was really good at math. So that's that's great right there. I love it. Um, But. I want to understand, like, so you were pretty much like one of the first, you were a data scientist before data science was cool.
3: Yeah. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I think that, I think that, um, I think that thinking about data, I often remark that I, you know, I think in rows and columns, it's just how I, it's how my brain works, right? I'm very visual. And so when I start thinking about data, I immediately want to start to disaggregate, separate, parse, whatever the word you want to use, I immediately want to start taking it apart and say, okay, we can just not, we can ignore this stuff, but these are the three things that we got to think about. Or like, I just, thats just how I'm, I'm, I'm one of those sorters. Like I I like to sort, sort and separate, you know, I think that's the, the way my brain works. And so, yeah, I've seen, I've seen data of all kinds. Um, But yeah, it's really been, it's really been interesting to see how different industries value data or how they discount it um, and how they put it to use or, or ways that they they refuse to put it to use. You know, I think it's interesting of how, uh, I mean, things like master data management have been around forever, right? Um, but I think a lot of people are, you need to take them, if you're going to have a database of customers or you're going to have a prospect database, right? Or something, you have a list of targets, your audiences, whatever. The idea that you need to keep that data organized and clean, and you need to have it—you almost have to abstract it in a way that makes sense. Which means if if you have date of birth on a on a portion of your database, but you only have month and year on another, and you only you got to think about common denominators of how you know how do you present the data in a consumable way based on your audience. Um, So yeah, all the data transformation, standardization, like all that's very interesting to me. It's not my I believe really strongly in it because it's required Um, only because I I want it to be clean so that when I try to build some automation or some consumable product, you know, I want the data to be organized and and to be, there shouldn't be mistakes, uh, misspellings. I mean, all kinds of things happen with data. It's just awful. It's amazing.
1: And you said, you know, uh, building, you know, building automation that uh, leads me to ask you, you know, what's an ideal Client for Hive Strategy. You know what? What type is it? Other data companies? Is it just? Is it retailers with data? Talk to me a little bit about that.
3: So there's there's probably two or three kind of buckets that I'm I'm working out of now. One is is companies that are uh, data companies, right? So and this is like, this is some of this is like the work I did at, at Winterberry Group. Um, it's also some work that I've done uh, before and after that, but ultimately. Uh, I mean, obviously, at, at Axiom, I was in the data products business, as well as the platform business uh, earlier than that. But when I think about data, um, data companies, companies that are trying to build a data product, and that data product could be, uh, they could be building audiences, they could be to have a, a measurement product, they could have, you know, media mix modeling, or they could have you know, they're trying to do something and they want to, and by product, I'm referring to something that's essentially repeatable and standardized, right? Um, It's a, it's a formula, like a, like your Dove soap has, you look at the ingredients on that. That's a product. It's got ingredients. It's got a package. It's got a price. You know, how much it costs per ounce, you know, what the ingredients are. Um, I think building a product, like a data product, companies that are doing that are very, very important to me. Um, I think that companies that are doing, platform uh in the advertising marketing space, customer loyalty, CRM included. Any of those platform players that are leveraging data as part of their tool set are, are obviously I think companies that I like to talk to as well. Um and then I think there's also another route of of kind of the private equity venture-backed firms. Um, oftentimes uh, someone in venture will make an investment in a company and they'll say, Hey, look, we really need someone who can help them do X or help them expand their line of lines of business, right? If they have one product and they're generating revenue, what's product two, what's product three, how does that product evolve? How do they, how do they go from hairs on fire startup mode to becoming a real business, right? A real product company. Um, and I credit Axiom for a lot of the training I I received there in terms of how do you build a data product? How do you then merchandise it and bring it to market? How do you price it? Where do you go? What are your channels? You You can go direct, you can go indirect, you can do, um, you know, channel sales versus platform as a channel. Like there's all kinds of different ways to generate revenue from a data product and not every channel is right for every product. Um, but yeah, generally, I think, you know, the private equity community is very someone I work with quite a bit um, early stage. I won't say, you know, two two guys in a garage level, not necessarily. Th- those types of companies, I tend to say, look, I'll be an advisor. I can help you. I'm here to help. Um, but once we get to this certain point, I may eventually have to send you an invoice or we'll figure something out. Um, but I think really the companies that have some legs under them, they've had some success but they need to grow and they're kind of stuck. So data companies that are trying to either pivot or change or get into a new part of the market. Um, those are the types of companies I like to work with.
1: Very good. Now, thanks for that. And I just want our audience to learn more about that. Axiom, you know, a lot of our listeners have heard of it. Uh, you know, we, we uh, are, are fond of Axiom. We, uh, you're friend of, friend of Starista, but there, you know, a lot of the work that you did was building, data partnerships and really internationally. So, you know, talk to me about, is that kind of the, all that business travel your wife was referring to, uh, you know, where were you building these international relationships? Where were you going?
3: So, um, so yeah, I think my, my, my wife put her foot down right around that time. I suppose. (laughs) Um, Yeah. When I was at Axiom, I, I said, I started in the platform business. After about a year, I got plucked and moved up and into, our data acquisition part of our business. Um, and as you can imagine, you know, Axium has a long lineage of of sourcing data from thousands of sources to to compile and aggregate and bring it together into the infobase product was was the marquee product at the time. As well as, you know, the identity which we called identity then we called it recognition, you know, this was this was a CDI, they call it customer data integration. There's a bunch of terms for it, I guess. Um, but we, um, in the data sourcing business, you know, we knew that we had to go global. Um, we knew that uh, Axiom had acquired a couple different businesses over the years in different countries and kind of left them as operating companies uh, separate. Uh, there was no real tight stuff there. So we were really trying to respond to the needs of a, of a couple of clients that we had that were large clients and, and bring them, you know, they had a long list of countries where we needed data. And um the team that I was aligned with was doing a lot of that data sourcing. And so a lot of it's just business development, as you know. I mean Vincent, it's just talking to people, right? And trying to figure out, you know, where are the people in these other countries. I mean, the country list on the consumer side I think was eighty-five countries. On the business side, it was thirty-five countries in data where we were we were sourcing data. Um and we had to get super we had to get super uh creative in kind of the kind of deals we were doing. Um but I was really, like I said, on the business end of that, where I was, I was really focused on trying to make sure that the data we were acquiring met the requirements for the product that we were building. Um, trying to do a global data enhancement product. Um, this was pre-live ramp acquisition. For those of you that know Axiom history, um, this was prior to the live ramp acquisition. Um, during the live ramp acquisition, the first time, um, you know obviously the leadership team changed Some some things were going on, some focuses uh, shifted uh, at Axiom and I, you know, wasn't mission accomplished, but it was, Hey, things were kind of all right on the international data business side. So I moved uh, into a consulting role and I spent the last year there working in a number of countries, but I mean, predominantly while I was at Axiom, I spent most of my time in, uh, I spent some time in Brazil, um UK, France, um, Hong Kong. Those were probably my my primary stops uh in that the time I was sourcing data. And and part of that sourcing data is not even so much going and getting someone to sell you their data, but it's working, you know, we were working with financial some institutions whether financial and some others and saying, Hey, look, we have we were doing monetization consulting. Like now the word monetization is everywhere, right? But You know, I ran a data consulting, a data monetization practice where we were essentially, I was representing Axiom and assessing a company's data to say, can we use this as an ingredient in our data products? Yes or no? If we can, what does that look like? What does the the demand look like? What does the future forecast for sales look like? How would we price it? How would we use the data? And so, you know, so it really... I learned a. I've learned everything I've. Every day I learned something new. Of course, I think that's that's a given. But I learned a great deal at Axiom in a very short period of time about how can you, you know, what data is valuable, how does it need to be compiled and configured in order to to for the end user to get value out of it, and that's something I really took away from there. I've since traveled. You mentioned travel. I I just passed my fiftieth country recently. Um, wow. So I'm I'm. I started in the military traveling a lot and I haven't stopped. So I've been on the road for this lockdown has been really interesting because I, you know, (laughs) travel has been a big part of my life and and I haven't been able to do that since I left New York on, uh, I think March 4th or March 5th is when I flew out of LaGuardia and I haven't been back.
2: Wow. Cool. Well, Axiom is a great partner for Storista, especially with our uh, mutual friend, Chad, becoming the CEO. We're expanding what we're doing with Axiom still.
3: Very proud and excited uh, that they're making progress, and that Chad Chad's there. I mean, Chad's ultimately how I I came to work at IPG um, last year, just you know, prior to him taking over as the CEO uh, at Axiom. Um, so yeah, the the network is strong, um, and for people listening, if you don't know, the Axiom is actually looking for a GM of data and identity right now. They have posted that recently on LinkedIn. So if you know any high, high-end high executives that that do that, uh, send them Axiom's away.
2: All right. Now you're giving my co-hosts some ideas.
3: <laughs> That's
1: it, right? Yeah, no, data. I was, uh, you know, data and math, all that. The, uh, uh, I enjoy partnerships and selling data, not the...
2: <laughs> <laughs> so kind of one more question on the holding companies. Do you see the trend continuing where more and more agencies, large agencies end up buying data companies as we saw with Axiom and Epsilon?
3: Yeah, I do, I do. I think there's going to be um, there's going to be some consolidation. And I, don't, I mean, consolidation is the wrong word, but I think it's really more of a convergence, right? Um, last year, a couple of years ago, there was a lot of talk about the management consultancies making inroads into the agency's turf, right? Um, Given where media spend is, given where the, you know, the big giants out there on uh, the Googles, the Facebooks, the Amazons, uh, you know, these types of players that are in this space, the agencies are going to have to continue to acquire, I think, you know, technology and data assets that make sense for them. Um, And sometimes it's, sometimes it's, it's cheaper to buy than it is to rent, right? And I think that's where a lot of them get to especially with scale. Um, you know, if you're paying fees upon fees upon fees and it's very elastic and it, and your business is growing, sometimes it's, it's cheaper just to buy the company <laughs> and own it rather than, than pay the fees. Right. You know, it's, it's not infinitely scalable. You know, I think there's, there's some buy build decisions they have to do there buy partner type decisions, uh, where it makes sense. Um, but again, given how diverse the agencies are and the needs are, given how diverse that the customer bases are, um, you know, there aren't a lot of big things left to buy, first of all, um, but I think you're, you know, you, there's gonna be another wave, right? I think that the next group of companies that are gonna get big would also be targets at some level for the holding companies to if there's some unique differentiator, whether it be in the type of data, the type of tech, or maybe the industry concentration of clients, um, you know, if there's specific tools that an agency sees a bunch of their clients using with success, uh, in a given industry, and there's a key partner in that industry. And if, if that's the industry they want to be in, if it's spirits, if it's retail, if it's whatever it is, I think, you know, yeah, I think there's still going to be, there's still going to be some MA uh, from the holding company side into interesting ad tech uh, and data and martech type plays.
1: Thank you for that perspective, Mark. Uh, Now is usually the time where we kind of get into a little deeper questioning, uh, you know, sort of the future, we get into some personal, right? So looking back on your career thus far, you know, can you share with us some of the most valuable tidbits that you've learned during your career?
3: um yeah there's a few Act. there's a bunch um one i can't you know I'm on you know obviously this is all on the fly so but one that comes to mind i used to work when i very first it leadership job i was uh i was essentially the cio type you know top it guy in a, about a 200 million dollar company um and i worked for the cfo and um and he said two there's two things i i I took from this guy. He's, he's been a good friend for a long time. One thing he said was, um, one day, you know, I commented on, like I said, Joe, every time I come in your office, your feet are on your desk and you're reading the wall street journal. What's up? You know, I'm back here fighting fires, dude. And you can't give me the budget. I need this. I, you know, I'm like going crazy. And he says, or you, know, you should pay me more. And he said, and this is, I was in my twenties. I was young and you know, big mouth in your twenties. I said, I think you should be paying me more. And, uh, I, I I said, dude, I, I can do, I can do 98% of what you do. I should get paid almost as much as you. And he says, ah, the 2% that you can't, that's what I'm getting paid for. And so that was something that I thought I took away from early in my, very early in my career. I love that. Um, I love that. Later on, he, a couple years later, he also said something else to me that, um, you know, I was getting a little antsy in the, in the role. And, you know, IT wasn't getting the the love, right? Even though I thought we were doing great work. And he said, he goes, he goes, if you want to be valued, the more, you just be as close as possible to the revenue. You need to, you know, be as close to the money as you can. That's how you'll be most considered, you know, indispensable if you're close to where the money comes from. So um, I took that as I'm going to go get a sales. I went and got a sales job after that. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm but um, you yeah, know, those are a couple of things that are interesting. I think um, there's a book that I I uh, I got my very first sales job um, working in a it was a consulting firm. We were selling Microsoft type stuff, Microsoft partner solutions, and um, the boss handed me. This will date me a little bit. He handed me a book on tape, and it was a book called "Let's Get Real" or "Let's Not Play." Um, it's still in print. It's been redone a couple of times. Um, I recommend the audio version because the guy that narrates it is like, so he's like, so New York, you know, he's just like, and it's, yeah. it's great. It's awesome. Step
1: one, call the client. Yeah. yeah so, you but, anyway, but, it, but it was, you're going to yeah.
3: buy something or what?
1: Yeah. It's like that. But this
3: book, this book changed. I mean, it literally changed my life. I, I don't mean that in a, in a crass way. I mean, it, 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 It's really about helping the client succeed. Like if if that is, that has to be your North Star is you have to want to help the client succeed. And if you can, if your client succeeds, it will come to you. All things will come back, right? And so I've taken that away and it's it's gotten me at, you know, I've been at, at crossroads with bosses, with organizations, with companies. Like I've been at crossroads with people when they missed that they dismissed it. Like help the client succeed is, is the objective period. And if you do that, you'll be successful. And that's something that I've taken to heart for, you know, that was, that was 20 years ago. And I still believe that today.
1: Yeah. No, I, I like that. You know, uh, I, the 2%, uh, that's, that's awesome. I remember, you know, coming out of college and thinking I was going to get this like extremely high paying job. And I remember, uh, in my interview process, They offered me this, and I think I asked for like $2,000 extra, and they were like, why? You have no experience in this particular industry. I was like, yeah, but uh, internships, and uh, they were like, no, sorry. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. You know, it's kind of like that, that, you know, yeah, you don't have that experience yet. You know, yeah. why should I do that? So it's kind of, you know, th- that's, uh, that's interesting. So Mark, you know, again, kind of, you know, your, your path, right. You were talking about where, um, large company off on your own, uh, you know, do you, do you see yourself ever going back to a large company, the the right fit? What, what, what do you think
3: there? Um, something else I've learned is never say Never. Um, I was, I was convinced when I left, um, I was convinced when I left Axiom, I'd never go back to a, a publicly traded company or a big company and Axiom is not big by a lot of standards, but at the time we were, you know, a billion dollars or more, you know, um, and being, you know, publicly traded, I, I just, I never say never. Um, and I told my wife and I actually wrote an article not that long ago about, you ever see that movie, Monty Python and the holy grail search of the holy grail. Oh. Of course, yeah. So you're familiar with Swamp Castle? I am. <laughs> so Swamp Castle, he he built it. It fell, you know. He keeps building no matter what, right? Yep. And so the analogy that I used in the article, or I talked about in the article, I was kind of trying to explain myself to that exact question. Like the people say, "Well, dude, can't you make up your mind?" Um, and the reality is, is no, I can't make up my mind. Um, I'd like to be valued. I like to get work done. I like to please and serve the customer. Do right by them. Help them succeed. And sometimes that doesn't always line up. Um, there's a lot of politics in big companies. Um, I think coming in and coming in at, a, you know, working your way up in a big company is a very different experience than coming in from the outside, uh, in the middle or coming in even at, the, at a very high end, which is like the last couple, the last several jobs I've taken with big companies have been really big jobs. They've been at a pretty high level. Um, that doesn't make it any easier. Uh, it actually makes it harder in some ways. Um, So yeah, I I would not say no, but I think anything is worth, anything's worth considering, but I, I have not, um, uh, it's not my goal necessarily.
2: And Mark, are you based in Ohio?
3: I am. I'm based, uh, just outside of, of Akron, Ohio. Um, things like, uh, the Black Keys, uh, Firestone, Goodyear, um, LeBron James, uh, Chrissy Hind, I'll really date myself then. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, Akron somewhere, this this area, I grew up in, in, in this area. I left at 19, I came back at, I left at 18, came back at 25, left at 30, came back at 40. You know, I mean, I've been in and out of Ohio three or four times. Um, I think now, you know, my kids are at the age, my kids are nine and 10. Um, my wife's family's here. My father's here. Uh, it makes sense to to have a home base here. And I, I've I've been back in Ohio for almost ten years now, uh, but I've worked almost exclusively in New York during that time. So it it is challenging to to commute, but haven't had to do that lately.
2: Yeah, I, I always assume you're based in New York City because that's where we end up running into each other. <laughs> So, but yeah, the data companies are in the most interesting of places, uh, Little Rock and Omaha and uh, sounds like uh, Ohio as well. I am,
3: I, I you know, I, I am a second citizen of Little Rock. I spent a lot of time in Little Rock. I spent a lot of time at, you know, probably my biggest cities outside of where I live have been uh, New York, San Francisco, Little Rock. Um, spent a lot of time in London, I suppose. Um when compared to the others. But yeah, it's um it's you gotta be mobile. And I, I think that I've always considered myself I'm not a remote employee. I'm I'm just mobile. You know, I go where the action is. Uh have bag will travel, you know.
2: And is there a favorite place that you enjoy going to? Um
3: people ask me this all the time and I, I think that for me, like the places that I'd love to take my family, like these are the places I've been that my family has not been that I want to take them with me. Like I think about places like, you know, Hong Kong to me is fantastic. It's like New York city and San Francisco hooked up one night and had a baby. You know what I mean? It's, it's, you have, you have water and you have mountains and you have people and you have gleaming buildings and you have just opulence. And I mean, it's just crazy. Like Hong Kong to me was a lot of fun. Um, Sao Paulo, Brazil, I'm a big fan. Um, this last summer I actually took my family. We went we spent some time in London, Paris, and then went on to Greece. Um and I, London and Paris are favorites. Just as, as trite as that sounds, they're just they're just fun places to be. Uh but I really do I really enjoy New York, San Francisco, Hong Kong are probably my top three.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, you know, I'm partial to uh you know New York City. Just for, uh, you know, living here. Um, And although it's obviously a little different now, but, uh, you know, love it in Paris really is one of my favorite. I got a chance to visit a few years ago before children uh, and it was just great. (laughs) Um, Now, Mark, we're wrapping up the podcast here, but we always ask this question on our podcast. What's a message that you, you know, respond to when someone sends you on LinkedIn uh, a request
3: Interesting. I've I've heard you ask other people this question. Um, You knew it was coming. (laughs) Given that I'm a small business owner, um, I generally look at all of them, right? As many as there might be on a given day, I go in and look at all of them um, just because I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. I want to do work, right? I want new customers. But um, I found that if I get unsolicited messages from people that I'm not connected to, I generally don't weight those very well at all. I mean, really an introduction, you know, to come by way of introduction is great. Um, you know, it's a tactic endorsement, if you will, if it's somebody, you know, I mean, I have, I don't know, 5,000 connections or something on LinkedIn or some big number, like getting, getting people like people that I'm connected to 100%. If you're connected to me on LinkedIn and you send me a note, I'm going to, I'm going to respond no matter what. Um, but yeah, as far as the topic of how I look, I mean, for me, it's usually around, you know, opportunities, new products. Like if someone's trying to grow their business, if someone, you know, if that's the line of of things, it's usually not someone trying to help me. Um, I generally don't respond well to that stuff, you know. In general, um, I'm I'm a little hard headed. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm 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 a really small business, and so you know, for me, I, there's you know, I don't I don't invest a lot in a lot of overhead type stuff. Uh, and so I, I don't generally, you know, those don't favor me well. I think that, um, you know, especially the ones that don't, I had a guy that sent me a thing that said, Oh, and your role at IPG and yada, yada, yada. And I, I, and this one, I, some of them, I just can't resist. I write back and I'm like, Hey bro, yeah, do your research. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you work for a marketing, you work for a data-driven marketing automation firm. You really should check on your data, dude. Like. And I kind of put some little laughy faces in there, you know? Yeah, um, so yeah, exactly. I, I I do tend to, if I'm, if I'm particularly snarky one day, I'll call some people, I'll call out some folks, say, hey, forget this. But a lot of them are just, it's very, it's awful. I think that the LinkedIn, like sales navigator, I recently moved over to that from like what I had before. You know, it's just putting guns in, in the hands of children. You know, there's just a lot of bad messaging going around on LinkedIn and, and email marketing has gotten better, but it's still. Prospect emailing is a bit tough, you know, in general. Yeah, no, I it's, it's really like, you know, I think yeah, know your
1: audience, be genuine, uh, you know, try to solve a problem for for yeah. them. Uh, yeah, I'm the same way. But this has been great, Mark. You know, that that's our uh, that's our time. It's it's certainly flown by. Uh, It was nice, you know, connecting with you and meeting you uh, on this level. I, you know, I know you knew AJ and David, so it's been a pleasure for us. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, that's been the Marketing Stir. He's Mark Donatelli, the president and founder of Hive Strategy. I'm Vincent. He's AJ. Thank you for joining us and we will talk soon. Have a great day.
0: Thanks for listening to the Marketing Stir podcast by Stirista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at info at com. Thanks for listening.